Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. I am so glad. Hey, yeah, man, you guys are like, I'm hearing some, some uh, voices. That's great. And I'm so glad because someone even brought me a box of tissues. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's awesome. So I'm so glad you're here this morning at Epic Church with us. Um, I just, this is new for me. If you see my hands a little uh, shaky, um, I normally am in the back with the kids, and they're fun and like easy to be with, and you guys are kind of scary. And so hopefully you'll um, give, me, <laughs> give me grace this morning as I'm I, here just sharing some of uh, my life with you this morning. So I don't want my hair and earrings to throw you off. So if it is, let me just say, I'm not Trent, I'm not Tim, and I'm not Evan. Um, I'm actually not even a pastor here at Epic. So, um, but I am married to one. And that's exciting. Uh, so um, anyway, I, um, I have the privilege, did I tell you this, of working with an amazing team of people every week. I get to work back with Riptide or Tidepool and just an amazing, amazing group of people. So my name's Tammy Shockey, and um, I just love it. So if you guys ever get a chance to just cheer them on, to cheer them on, they are amazing I, I love it, and um, I'm trying to give you just a little time to kind of connect the dots and figure out who I'm married to. So if you haven't figured that out yet, I am married to Trent Shockey, and um, so he was just the bald guy that was out here, so. And I love it. Don't you love his head? I just love that. So um, this is actually my time to kind of get back at him, but, I, but I'm not going to, because I actually, what I... What I, I want to just say this out because um, Trent is just my best friend, and besides being so good looking, because he really is, um, he's my best friend, and I am so grateful, so honored to have him in my life, and I cannot tell you enough about how much he has brought to my life, and that I am just a better person for having him there. So, um, so with that, let's start off the morning. And um, this morning, I just wanted to really start off with just acknowledging that Mother's Day is not the same for everybody. It's different for everybody. And, um, you know, originally it was a day that we set aside to honor those women in our lives that are just amazing and they're life breathers. They bring life into our our days. Um, They sacrifice unconditionally. They love us. And... um, They're just a great role model of God's love in our lives. So, you know, originally that's what it was set up for, but we know that in some cases that's just not the way it is. And we know that in life there's a lot of brokenness, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of sorrow. And so for whatever Mother's Day is to you or has been to you this morning, what I really want it to be is I want it to be a day where we can come together and just... Um, for new beginnings, maybe, and for also just to understand what it is to live life abundantly and what it means to be a life giver, what that really means. So in order to do that, um, I'm going to take you through some verses this morning. And so to start off, we're going to go to Genesis. Now, I know Tim was there last week, and we're going to go dive back in there this week. So so here we go. In Genesis 1.27... Um, we see that there is a God that is creating human life in his image, the very image of God, by literally breathing life into him. So let's look at it. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
And then Genesis 2-7 tells us, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. Now there's two things that I want us to get from this and that's one, that we are image bearers. And then two, that because we're image bearers, we reflect, we have the capability of reflecting God's character to give life or to be what I like to call life breather. So um, another interesting note to note is, or to make, is in the next chapter or so, when uh, God is revealing like the names of Adam and Eve, Eve's name literally means life giver or giver of life. Um, And some translations even call it to breathe. Um, So what does all that mean for us this morning? Well, I think more than just physical traits um, or having the ability to give life through a physical birth, it conjures up a much bigger idea. Um, God reveals a much bigger plan and motion for his creation. And so it's kind of this visual. This is what I want you to get, this visual this morning of him. We see a creator who is not just speaking things into existence, which, come on, that is miraculous in and of itself. But at one pivotal moment, he intentionally picks up the most precious of his creations and intentionally breathes life into them. So from the very beginning, we see this very personal God who desires a very personal relationship with his creation, and we see him forming us with his hands, we see him breathing his own life, his very own breath, his life breath, his image into us. And I think that doesn't seem like the God that doesn't isn't interested in our everyday life, does it? I mean, to me, it doesn't. When I read through that, it's such a personal, such a, um, just a close relationship. And so it's quite the opposite, that from the very first breath of mankind, this is it. He was there, he was with us, holding us, and he was breathing life into us. So I kind of want you to marinate in that for a minute because... Um, I just think that's amazing. That's just totally not what we get from God sometimes. It's not what we feel like all the time. Let's set that picture aside. And what I want us to do next then is to realize there's another figure that comes onto the stage not too long after we're introduced to this God. And I'm not sure what you think about Satan or what you believe about Satan, but the Bible tells us that Satan is a real being. And his name means adversary or accuser. And so I'm going to take you through a couple verses. Just uh, the Bible talks in various situations about Satan, but I'm just going to use a, a few here this morning. So if you follow along, if you have a Bible, great, open it and follow along with me. If not, it'll be up on your screens. Um, so 2 Corinthians 11:14 says, "Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light." In some translations, he he disguises himself as truth. Then in John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character for he's a liar and the father of lies. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And then John 10, 10, Jesus is uh, talking here. And we're just going to look at the first part of it. It says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Man, it's such a great list of qualities you want to put on your resume, right? I mean, I'm like, yeah. Um, so not quite, right? 
So the interesting thing is that we get this beautiful image of God, this beautiful image of the beginning of creation with our relationship with him. And, um, and then it doesn't take long. Immediately, Satan comes onto the stage and immediately he begins his deception. And we see it at its finest. So we're going to look in Genesis 3. And this is Satan interacting with Eve. God has set up um, kind of the guidelines for them. Um, what would be best for their life. And uh, here's Satan. This is just so him, isn't it? Okay, so he comes in. This is what we see. Did God really say, as he walks around, you will not die? I can just hear him saying those things. And so then what we see is a lie from the very beginning that counters the truth. So from the beginning of creation, we have a very clear Two distinct figures with two distinct, how do you like that, four? No, two. Two distinct purposes. And I love how Jesus sums this up in uh, John 10.10. 10. All right, so let's look at this. We read it a minute ago, the first part of it, but we're going to finish it out. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And, and there's another uh, version that says it like this. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Which, I love this because Jesus is saying he, he came to the earth, not so that we could just have life, but that so we could live life abundantly. If, so, I mean, if you could get the image, a life that cannot be contained, it is overflowing. That's the kind of life that he's describing here. And um, I want us to take a look at one, one more little set of verses, and I want you to pay attention to this word truth, because it's very crucial, all right? So um, in John 18, 37, let me just set this up uh, a little bit. When Jesus is with Pilate, um, and this is right before the crucifixion's happening, G uh, Pilate's brought Jesus out. And he's, at, and he's talking to him. So we see Jesus responding kind of for the first time in, in a long time at this point. And so this is what he says. Pilate says, or Jesus says why he was born. So let's read it. I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. And then let's look at this verse. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I love that verse. And then this one is a great one too. John 8, 32. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's a lot of information. Let's take it and let's put it together in a, like, kind of like a chart uh, form, okay? So if we were to look up here on the screens, we have truth and then who is truth based on those verses that we just read. Jesus. So we have Jesus who's truth and he represents or he brings freedom and life. And then on the other side, according to those verses, we have Satan who is the liar. That's right. The liar. And he represents or brings captivity and death. So we have, um, yeah, so what I want us to look at here, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. You don't have to answer them, but I want you to think about them, and I want you to take into consideration what we just read, okay? So here's the first one. What can we sum up from these verses? Jesus is on trial, right? Going back to that, 
where Pilate's talking to Jesus. Jesus is on trial. Jesus is the truth. And therefore, if Jesus is on trial, Jesus is the truth. What's on trial? The truth. That's right. The truth. So what does all that imply? Okay, so we have truth, freedom and life. We have lies, captivity and death. What do you see there? Sides. I think I heard that. Sides. We see sides. There are sides. And then when there are sides, what does that mean? That we can be taken captive. That we can be taken captive. I don't want you to forget that one. And then I want you to really think about this one. What takes us captive? Lies do. Lies take us captive. And it's the truth that sets us free. I think we can honestly say that every sin that besets us can be traced back fundamentally to a lie. I want to say that one more time. I think that honestly, every sin that besets us can be traced back fundamentally to a lie. There are so many different ways that we can, that lies take us captive. Sometimes it's in a big way. Sometimes it's in a not so big way. Um, sometimes it creeps in there and takes hold of us. But here's the deal. Once a lie creeps in and takes root in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives, we begin to feed it power. And until one day, sometimes without even realizing it, it can take us captive. And that was the case in my life uh, not too long ago. And this morning, I just wanted to share with you um, how that happened, how that happened in my life. And um, to do that, I kind of captured it on paper, so I'm just going to read it to you this morning. So if you could bear with me, I'm going to put my granny glasses on. Trent probably told you we're expecting a grandbaby pretty soon, so that's exciting. So I need my glasses, officially. So I'm going to read through this, and if you can, like I said, just give me grace and bear with me, I would appreciate it. So over 11 years ago, I had several different symptoms that started appearing out of nowhere as I began to train for a race with a friend of mine. I chalked it up as getting older until one day I remember very distinctly standing up and feeling like every vertebrae was being realigned along my spine. At the same time, my spinal column seemed to fill with a liquid fire so intense and severe it was all I could do not to pass out. I remember hearing a scream so blood-curdling and guttural that every hair in my body was standing on end. I had no idea what was happening or where those sounds were coming from until Trent was laying me down on the couch and I was staring up at the horrified expressions of my children. It was then that I realized that the torturous sound was coming from me. You hear people tell you life can change in a moment, but I had no idea that night that mine just had and that it would never be the same again. I went from being a very independent and active mother of four in one moment to being totally dependent, bedridden, and unable to communicate effectively the next. Like a car cruising down the interstate at full speed only to be thrown into park unexpectedly, the transition was immediate and devastating. Pain riddled my body morning, noon, and night with no relief. Every major system in my body seemed to crash at one time. My body was shaking, my hands were trembling, my heart was racing, my skin was burning, my head was pounding, and the pain was unrelenting. For the next two years, I would spend the majority of my time either in bed or in a recliner because I was unable to get to my bed due to the extreme excruciating pain that coursed throughout my body. To say my life was limited, was very limited, was an overstatement. It had become non-existent. I could never have imagined the torture life could be just to wake up and have to live every day 
During that time, we sought out doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist, trying to find answers to what seemed to be ravaging my body. Most days, I couldn't roll over in bed, much less get up and go to the bathroom by myself. My mind couldn't process well or communicate, and I was convinced God could not collect one more tear in that bottle he talked about in the book of Psalms. My family and many sweet friends had rallied around me doing whatever the day required to get through it, whether it was cleaning my fridge, picking up my kids from school, making a meal, or even a special gummy worm cake. You name it, we pursued it and trusted God with the rest. There were days my body would rally enough for me to accomplish the minimal tasks of living on my own, but I could feel the weight I was causing them all as the days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, and months into years, and we were still no closer to any answers. So many moments during that time, I wondered if I would even make it through the night. Moments of desperately scratching out a few illegible notes for Trent and my kids, hoping to capture even a fraction of the depth of love I felt for each of them. Other nights, that desperation turned to begging God to take me so I didn't have to wait to another torture-filled day for me or for my family. As time went on with no new understanding or relief in sight, I found my confidence in God being chiseled away by questions that went unanswered, creating doubts that seemed to hover and thoughts that strove to take me captive. Little by little, a desperate dark hole was beginning to form in me, growing wider and wider. Though I had taken every moment possible to remind myself of God's truth with anything I could get my hands on, I couldn't help but wonder at the continued silence. Was there something I missed? Was there something I'd done? Was there something inside of me that needed to change? Regardless, I pressed on choosing to believe that God would answer the what's, the why's, and the where to next in his time. After so many discouraging appointments and unanswered questions, I was scared to hope anymore. But we had one last appointment on the calendar, one we had waited months just to get into, so I hung on and I leaned into the hope that God would show up. Because wasn't that what he claimed to do in times like this? After the 14th doctor, we got in the car and drove home. The appointment had been momentous, but not in the way I had hoped. Instead of answers, I was given what felt like a public flogging by the doctor and his doctors and training crew. The humiliating and disrespectful treatment by the medical team there left me shocked and confused. Once again, we were left with no answers. Only this time, there were no next steps left to pursue. We had exhausted everything we knew to do, backwards, forwards, and upside down, and still, heaven remained silent. On that trip home, my body began to shake and heave as tremendous sobs issued from me. And by the time we reached home, I was utterly drained, physically, mentally, and emotionally. I felt that dark hole closing itself off so completely that by the time I reached my bedroom, I was utterly consumed by the darkness. I had reached my end, hope was lost, and I had nothing else to give. For the next couple of weeks, I was despondent. I just wanted to be by myself. I couldn't really make it down the stairs, nor did I have any desire to, so I spent the day after day in bed, slowly withdrawing into myself. Trent would send, try to send the kids up with food, notes, verses, or cards. Sometimes he would even leave the window open upstairs so I could hear them play together outside and feel like I wasn't missing out, that I was still a part of their lives somehow. But I began to know better, so much so that prayers and podcasts were quickly set aside, and anything that reminded me of the hope Christ offered was put away and forgotten. Instead, I began to entertain a lie masquerading as the truth and invited it to marinate into the very depths of my soul. As more time went by, the promises, the words, the moments, the sounds that started off as such endearments, such lifelines to me, began to have the opposite effect. 
Their crushing weight became painful reminders of all that I had lost and didn't seem to have a chance of regaining. Everything that brought my life joy now brought pain and sorrow, and it was becoming easier to rely on bitterness, self-pity, and despair than it was to embrace love, joy, or peace. As I found myself more and more alone doing all I could to block out God and life of any kind, I began to embrace bitterness, resentfulness, betrayal, which in turn fueled hatred. I hated anything that reminded me of life, anything that reminded me of hope, because those things ultimately reminded me of God, and I began to hate him the most. For me, during that time, it was never a thought that God didn't exist. Honestly, I had witnessed God's presence and answered prayers for people too many times to count throughout my lifetime. But as I sat there in my pool of self-pity, I began to connect the dots of my life through the lens of a lie. The dots that, when put together, told me a very different tale about God than what I had always believed. God loved, just not me. God cared, just not for me. God answered prayers, just not mine. I had always been a doer, and now since I couldn't do anything, since I couldn't accomplish anything, I was convinced that I was utterly worthless to him and especially to my family. How does a mom love her family when she can't even hold her kids? When she can't swipe their tears? Or tuck them into bed at night? In the silence, I began to ask questions quietly and cautiously at first. What did I do? Why is this happening? God, have you ever loved me? When no answers came, the lie continued to grow, drawing in strength and guiding me a little closer to the edge. Thoughts would come to mind like, I understand you don't love me, and you don't hear my prayers, and you, don't, and you want to punish me or whatever. I don't, it's fine. I don't even care anymore. But how can you do this to them? All I ever wanted was to invest in my kids, and, won't, and you won't even let me have that. I never asked anything from you. The only thing I ever wanted was to love my kids, to walk and play with them, to do life with them, to be able to hold them and take care of them. How, why is that too much to ask? When my family would leave for long periods of time, I would unleash all of my pain. At first, it started as a whisper. I hate you. As if feeling my way, trying to measure how much God would put up with me before striking me dead for my audacity. When nothing happened, I began to feel like I was gaining the upper hand in some way. It felt powerful. So I screamed it at the top of my lungs, adding with it all the venom I could muster. I hate you! And specifically aimed those thoughts at the very heart of God, hoping that the arrow would pierce the heart of the one that had so hardened his against me. It didn't take long for that fury in my heart to take hold of a deeper, more sinister thought because once you open the door to darkness, it's take, it'll take you captive. I confidently took on the position that it was fine that, didn't God, that God didn't love me, but I wasn't going to let him do this to my family. If he hated me and wanted me to have to sacrifice my dreams and life, fine, but I wasn't going to make them give up their lives. I would do what he wouldn't do, or maybe he couldn't do it. Somewhere along the line, I had exchanged the truth for a lie. Making the decision to end my life infused me with what seemed like a new energy. I had a purpose, and I was going to wait for just the right time to carry it out. And finally, the perfect morning arrived. Every detail seemed to fall into place, and I just relished the ability to control my own fate. 
Trent was at work, the girls were at school, and a friend had arranged to pick up Cody for the day. And in my arrogance, I believed I had outmaneuvered God. I had taken control. And in the distorted view of my mind, I believed I was going to love my family the way I thought they deserved to be loved. I would sacrifice my life so they didn't have to sacrifice theirs. As I rounded the corner of my bedroom to go down the staircase, a little giggle rang in my ear. As I paused on the stairs, I distinctly recognized an excited, sweet little boy voice that said, Hi, Mom. I froze. Time seemed to stand still, and I leaned over and looked into my son's room, and there in his pajamas, sitting on his little toddler bed, was Cody, the kid who wasn't supposed to be there. With the biggest grin I had ever seen on his face, like he had saved it his whole life just for this moment. In seconds, I was consumed with rage. I, my jaw clenched as tears began to course down my cheeks. How could you do this? I demanded to God in my mind as the distorted thoughts continued to seethe. Are you kidding me? You've already taken everything from me. You couldn't even give me this? My mind was completely blown away with the fact that God had just thwarted the plan I had finally been able to set in motion. How could he do this? As the conversation continued in my head, my mind barely registered the calm, confident little whisper. It's okay, Mom. Don't cry. I'll help you down. As a chubby little hand wrapped itself around mine, it took at least 40 minutes with Cody's tender patience to painstakingly make my way down the stairs to the bottom. My mind was reeling, and I was angry at everything, at God, at Trent, my friend, Whatever miscommunication happened that morning that caused my plans to be thwarted. Cody picked up his puzzles and walked over to me, or walked over to the coffee table. I knelt there trying to make sense of the morning while Cody tucked himself right up next to me working his puzzle. Every few minutes he would stop and he'd turn to me and he'd brush my arms with his fingers and say, I love you, Mom. I need you. I love you, Mom. I need you. Over and over, he would say that for the next several hours. At first, it barely registered what was happening until finally, the only way I can describe it was like scales starting to fall from my eyes and a type of thawing taking, taking place around my spirit. Before I knew it, I was staring at this precious face before me as his words penetrated my heart. And deep, gut-wrenching sobs took over me as I sensed in that one pivotal moment the overpowering presence of God. I realized that in the hours I had been kneeling there, God had used the sweet spirit of my little boy to speak to my battered and weary soul and to free me from captivity. It was evident that God had been there all along with me. He had never left me. He saw me. He felt my pain, and he heard my cries, and he had placed the little boy in my path at the exact moment I needed him to be there touching me, reminding me of truth, and breathing life back into me, doing and saying exactly what I needed when I needed it the most. I was made painstakingly aware that somewhere along my journey, I had traded God's truth for the enemy's lie, and it broke me. Not the bad kind of broken that can never be fixed, but the brokenness that can only be renewed by the precious life-giving breath of Jesus. Nothing changed about my physical circumstances that day. There was no supernatural healing that had taken place. But God freed me that day from the power 
the lies head over me. Sometime later, I can remember thinking, God, if I never get better, that's okay. Just let me be able to breathe life into my family. Teach me how to be their cheerleader and their biggest fan. How to teach them how to embrace wholeheartedly the way that you've created them and live it out to their best of their ability. If I can do that, if I can just do that, even if it's from a horizontal position for the rest of my life, it'll be enough. I have been far from perfect. Slowly but surely, though, God is teaching me how to live life abundantly by putting my trust and hope in the truth claims of Christ. It has been over a decade since that day, and I'm still battling health issues. Although I'm very, a lot better today than I was then, there are still days that it kicks my rear end. <laughs> but I've determined with power that the power that Jesus gives me that it's not going to define or destroy me. I know this hasn't been a typical Mother's Day talk, <laughs> and I'm sorry for that, but I do want to thank you for listening to my story this morning. I just want to remind you that in life, there is a battle between truth and the lies. There's a battle going on every day for you. And for me, Satan wants to take you captive, and he'll do whatever it takes to do it. to keep you li from living a life that God intended for you to live. So this morning I want to ask you, what lie has taken you captive? What lie is keeping you from living the life that God intended for you to live? Your lie may not be my lie. Your lie may be something completely different. He loves to attack us every day, doesn't he, with, you're not worthy. You're not enough to be loved. You're not worthy enough for love. You're too this. You're too that. You're not skinny enough. You're not smart enough. You're not manly enough. You're not courageous enough. You're just not enough. And those lies burrow their way into our minds until we are not free anymore, but it's like we're living our life just like this. We're bound. We're not free. And that's not how God intended for us to live. This morning, the tech team's going to play a song in just a few minutes, and I love this song. It's about what the freedom in Christ means for us. And um, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're wrestling with this morning, if you're wrestling with something. I guarantee you in, the, in a room this size, there's a lot of us that are. Maybe for some of you guys, um, it starts, your freedom starts with the relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never stopped and said, I don't even have a relationship with God. I need to start today. And so I challenge you to make that decision, to start today. Start where freedom starts. Start where life starts. The creator God who breathed life into us at the very beginning wants to breathe life into you today. We do that by saying a simple prayer. We call it the ABC prayer just because it's pretty simple. You admit that you're a sinner. God, I am sick of trying to do life without you. I am sick of doing things that cause my relationship to not be able to connect with you. I know I'm doing this. I acknowledge it, and I ask that you forgive me for it. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for you and he came back to life for your freedom. And then committing your life to following Jesus. And that's a day-to-day -day thing. 
But man, it's, it's amazing. So if you need to start there this morning, during, that, during the song, I just want you to pray. I want you to give your heart over to Christ. And maybe for you, you've already done that in your life. Maybe there was a time that you've already chosen to become a Christ follower. And awesome. But maybe you've realized this morning that there is something, there is a lie that has taken you captive. And maybe it's been there your entire life. Maybe it's something that, you know, you, it has taken over you since you were a kid. I don't know. But whatever it is, take the time this morning. Wrestle it down. The biggest challenge I can give you is wrestle with it and come out on the other side. Once and for all, God, I need you. And I don't want to do this life without you. Because he wants to be there for you. He's waiting for you. He's waiting to be the strength that you need. And I can honestly say this, that all that I've been through in my life, I can honestly say that there is no doubt in my mind that Jesus loves you. No doubt. So this morning, if you need to make one of those choices or if you need to do any choices with God, I just encourage you to do it. So when they play this, I, will everybody stand up? And while this song is playing, just wrestle, wrestle, whatever you need to do. Talk to God. If you need prayer, I'm, I'm down here. I'm here. If you need someone to pray with you, I'll pray. I'll pray with you. But let's just take this time and just speak with God this morning during this song. So happy Mother's Day, everybody. Um, would you help me thank Tammy for sharing her story? You know, she's been wrestling uh, for a few weeks as to whether she should even share that story, and I'm so glad that she did. Uh, I know that uh, that truth that she's been wrestling with and uh, we have been wrestling with is something that can free a whole lot of people from the bondage that you have, might have been held captive by. So I pray that as you walk out today, if you've been held captive by something, you'll walk out in new freedom in Christ. I'm going to pray, and then Tammy and I will be right down here in the front. If you'd like us to pray with you, we would love to do that. So let's pray together. Lord, I'm so grateful for... Lord, just the truth that we've been able to explore this morning. And so grateful for Tammy sharing her story with us. I'm glad that she's been bold and courageous today. Lord, I know that even though many of us have put our faith and trust in you, we can still believe lies. We can be held captive to things that just hold us in bondage for years and not experience the abundant life that Jesus, you came to die so we can have. So Lord, I pray today that anybody wrestling with bondage would walk out of here free, free in their relationship with you. Lord, we understand that true freedom only comes through Jesus Christ and the truth that he offers. So Lord, I pray that you would transform us today through that truth. In Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen. Thanks for being here, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to you. And if you'd like prayer, we'll be right here.